Well, uh, next week Advent begins, the four Sundays before Christmas, and uh, I will have the joy of sharing from the book of Isaiah four passages that point forward to the coming of Christ. As I went through Isaiah, I get to, um, you know, I was very enriched by the Lord, and so it's uh, I'm going to use some of those passages to uh, talk about the Old Testament prophet and how he, uh, what he told us about Jesus in these next four Sundays. And uh, so we'll be taking a little pause from our study of 2 Corinthians after today until the new year. We're in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning though, verses 1 through 6a, first half of 6. Last week, we focused on the intermediate state, where the time between our death and the coming of the Lord in glory, when he remakes the heavens and the earth, and we focused on that great day of his return and the resurrection of mankind. We talked about, last week, about how in our present state, We are burdened because we don't yet have our new bodies. We've been given a promise, but we're not feasting and being satisfied yet. So we groan, waiting for the time when the good work that God has begun in us will be completed on that day. Today, we're going to focus more on this life while we wait for the great day of promise. For though we have much to look forward to, we also have much to help us and strengthen us and encourage us here and now in our lives. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So our passage is 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 6a. Let me read it. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And today we're going to focus on five and the first half of six. And that's what this part is. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. So the first thing is, the first part of this, verse 5, he was prepared us for this very thing, is God. So we see here that we are living in God's story. In in this phrase, in verse 5, Paul tells us that all he's been talking about in verse 1 to 4 is something God has set up. God is the one who has destined us to be resurrected like his son on the last day. 
God is the one who will clothe us with an eternal house at Christ's return. He is the one who allows us to be burdened now by the weakness and frailty of our earthly bodies. And he is the one who sent us the Spirit who moves us to groan and yearn for this new existence that will swallow up the existence we have in this present time. God is the great producer and director who is moving all things in history to a great and dramatic climax when the hero will appear and smash the villain and all his helpers and he will rescue the victimized maiden and carry her off to be his lover. This is the dramatic finish to which all of history is inevitably moving. And God's Spirit moves His chosen people to long for that day more and more. To cry out within us, Come, Lord Jesus, come. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. And now the rest of our time, I want to talk about the the second part of verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. The Holy Spirit has, the Lord has given us His Spirit as a pledge or a guarantee of all the glorious things which God has promised to His people on the last day. As it says in Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit of promise is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. In other words, until everything is given to us that we're waiting for. Here Paul uses financial language. The language of the marketplace. He refers to a down payment, a pledge, a portion of the price in pledge that the rest is coming. A word of promise that at some point in the future the payment will be completed. The fact that God has given us His Spirit is proof that the, all the rest that He has promised is on its way. In Romans 8.23, Paul makes the exact same point, but he uses different in a different image, different language. He uses not the language of the marketplace, but the language of the farm. He says, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The first fruits refers to the beginning of the harvest. The first part of the crop. I'm sure this week, as uh, you were, as every people were preparing their Thanksgiving feasts, that there were times when, you know, your children would be anxiously awaiting the meal and wanting to eat, and somebody says, "Well, look, 
It's, it's almost ready, but here, have a taste. This is, what's, this is what's coming. This is what it's like. And to help them, encourage them to keep going. And they get a little taste of it. And that's the idea here. The, the first fruits of the harvest. That's the Holy Spirit. It's a little bit of the harvest now. You see, the Holy Spirit is for believers the first part of our inheritance. The joy of the Holy Spirit, the peace that passes understanding, the love of the Spirit. All the things the Spirit does in us are foretastes of the glory to come. Cultivating in us an appetite for the things of Christ. Moving us to look to God as our daddy. Creating in us a distaste for the things of the flesh. Filling us with love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Opening our eyes to his glory in the world around us. Showing us the grace and beauty of God in Christ. Comforting us in trouble. Strengthening us when we're weak. Assuring us of God's presence and love. These things are the work of the Holy Spirit in us. You see, the Holy Spirit is more than just our helper while we walk through this difficult life. The Holy Spirit and everything He does in our lives is God's sign of a much better life in store for us. The Holy Spirit's work in us is a precursor, a harbinger, a foretaste of a glorious existence that far outshines anything that we could ever imagine in this world. But it's even more than that. Excuse me. The New Testament tells us that the transformation which will occur on the last day when Christ returns has already begun. We know that God will do a great work in us on the last day. He'll make us perfect and pure, completely joyful and completely loving, making all of our earthly imperfections fall away and transforming us into the glorious bride prepared for Christ, clean and fully sanctified, holy and blameless, perfect. But the thing we often fail to realize is that this work of God has already begun. This first piece of us has already been resurrected. We have been given new life in Christ. We are alive in a way... that we didn't used to be. And we are alive in a way that unbelievers are not alive. That may sound arrogant for a believer to say that, but that's what the Word of God says. And we didn't do it. God's the one who did it. We did nothing. It's purely by His grace and power. The new birth, when a person is born again, It is a kind of resurrection by the Holy Spirit. And that's just the beginning of a process which continues by the Spirit's work in His people. Now we have things in our world 
that help us to that can help us to understand this. Take, for instance, a tiny fetus in his mother's womb. Even the mother may not know of the existence of this microscopic life, but everything that that person's going to be, and everything that that person's going to do, and every way that that person's going to affect the world is wrapped up in that tiny little package. And take this one step deeper. Think about Jesus in the womb. Destined to put all of his enemies under his feet. Invisible to the world. The tiny fetus contains not only a whole life. But a whole redemption. A whole people. A whole new world. All there in microscopic form. This is exactly the point that Isaiah makes in 53.2. This morning we read 53.3 and following. But the verse before that says... Referring to Jesus, he grew up before God like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we would look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So here's this insignificant little shoot coming out of the ground, easily trampled, Look, looked like it's nothing. And yet destined to change the world. Destined to be a great redwood that, that impresses and people come from far around just to behold its majesty. And so it is about the people of Christ. Though we look weak and powerless and insignificant in the world's eyes... We have already life growing in us that will last for eternity. A life which will eventually blossom in glory in the new heavens and the new earth. This new life has already begun. Though of course it coexists in us. There's still a the old self in us that wars with this new life that God has created in us. The point is that this is more than just a promise. This is a life that's already started. It's eternal life. There's a time coming when our whole lives will be lived in the Spirit. When we will be fully of the Spirit in body and soul. And we anxiously await that day. But to help us await that day, God has enabled us to live in the Spirit now. That we might have hope and long for more of it. Long for the rest of it. The future age has already begun in small measure. 
In a sense, the future has broken in upon the present. The power of the future age has already been introduced in a way that's insignificant from the world's perspective, but is profoundly powerful for those who understand it and see it. Even now, some of the blessings, some of the privileges, some of the powers of our eternal glorious existence have been given to us who are indwelt by Christ through the Spirit. When a person receives Christ and is indwelt by Christ through the Spirit, that person becomes a participant in a whole new mode of existence. A mode of existence that really belongs to the future and not to the old creation, the old era. We live on the earth, yes, but it's as if we already have one foot in heaven because through the Spirit we already participate in that far greater world which is coming. And that's why Paul says in Colossians 1.27 that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Deep down inside each person we know that we're not at home. This is why man is incurably religious because man is constantly searching for home. We can imagine a place which would truly be home. And we try to turn this world into that place. But we can all know, we know, all know that this place here is broken and needs fixing. And that we are, as part of mankind, we need fixing. We're broken as well. And yet the message of the world in our generation screams out, there is no beyond. There is no one up there. There is no eternal hope. All we have now, all we have is now. And all we have is each other. So we should make the most of it. Today people say, see our Christian talk about a better life to come as a way believers fantasize. Refusing to look at real life in the eye and deal with it. They see it as a cop-out, a false hope. They think we're waiting for a future which will never come. Instead of living in the now. But God's people do not put their faith in what others think. We trust in the word of God. Which is a very different message. It tells us that the Son of God came to this earth in human flesh and bore the punishment of our sin upon himself on the cross. It tells us that we, he was raised from the dead and now sits at the right hand of our Father in heaven where he, he poured out his Holy Spirit, from where he poured out his Holy Spirit upon us and upon his church. God's word promises... That a great day is coming when Christ will return and renew all things. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. We will receive new bodies in that great resurrection. And that will be our true and eternal home.
We'll have no more sin and no more pain and no more loss and no more confusion. This glorious home, that's our inheritance. That's what we're waiting for. Christ is preparing it. And when it's time, he, we will inherit it. This is the hope that fuels every day of our lives. But this future hope is not merely future. The Holy Spirit is already at work bringing about the early stages of this new existence. It is God's down payment and guarantee of our inheritance. It's the first fruits of a greater harvest, a glorious harvest coming to the people of the Lord. It's God's seal that we are truly among those who belong to him. The work of God making all things new has already begun. We have already been partially resurrected. And in this new birth, something inside of us was brought to life by the Spirit's power and continues to come alive. And this is a sign that the rest of the job will be completed. God doesn't want us to be left wondering about whether we have a glorious eternal home, a glorious eternal future with him or not. He guarantees it by giving us his spirit. God wants us to know we have eternal life. However, not everyone who is in the assembly of those who are waiting for the return of the bridegroom will be welcomed in on the day of the bridegroom's return. So how do you know whether you'll be welcomed in or not? You don't just wait for the last day and see. You look in your lamp. Do I have the oil of the Holy Spirit in my lamp? That's how they knew in the parable of the ten virgins. The others did not. The Spirit's work in us The Spirit's giving us life. The Spirit's changing and transforming us. The Spirit's giving us hope and joy. The Spirit's helping us to press on even in the midst of difficulties and trials. These are the things that show us that God has called us to be his. And these are the things that he says are our guarantee of the salvation that is to come. And now we come to God's table where he invites us and calls us to come to him. Maybe someone here 
has been at church a thousand times but never been to Christ take the opportunity this morning and come to Christ let go of all the things the empty things in this world that that have failed to satisfy you and take hold of Christ look to him put yourself in his hands fall before his feet the broken and contrite heart our Lord will not despise he will welcome he will receive you let us pray Jesus we come to you this morning we thank you that you have extended your arms to us and invited us and Lord we know that when we come to you there are 10,000 charms that we receive but Lord mostly it's just having you our true home the one we were made for the one we will become like please be at work in us continuing to open our eyes and hearts to the reality of Jesus thank you for the chance now through this sacrament to partake of bread and wine symbolizing Christ and his atoning work we pray O oh Father that you would allow us to partake on a deeper level of Christ himself we pray in his name amen